The Evolve to Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Hello, I am Warren Munson, founder of Inspire and Evolve, and my guest on this podcast is Cheryl Hadland, founder of Tops Daycare Nurseries. Among other things in this episode, we're going to hear Cheryl explain how her background as a scuba instructor helped prepare her for early years in business within childcare. I was used to looking after people. You know, underwater is a very dangerous, potentially, situation unless you're trained. So I was, I was used to taking life or death responsibility. So actually doing that with two and three-year-olds wasn't very different to, t- to doing it with a, with a 30-year-old. Cheryl explains that success for her is about having and leaving a legacy. At 30 years on, I know that I'm not going to be running the nurseries in another 30 years. I may be in the grave by then. So I want to make sure that children can continue to be in a, in a great environment with the next generation. She gives simple, practical ideas for us all on how business owners can reduce their environmental impact. Buy renewable energy. Look at your stationary bills and look at your photocopier. You know, you don't need to be copying so much or so much in colour. You don't need to laminate anything and everything that goes on the notice board. And we were doing that. You know, so st- stop with the lamination. Stop with the plastic wallets. Um, There are so many bits of one-use plastic that you can just stop using. Biros, my goodness me, do you really need to use a biro for everything? Can you not use a pencil made of wood which is from a renewable source? There are so many things that you can do, but to be honest, you can't do it all at once. And finally reveals the best investment that you can make. There's a seven to one return on investment in good quality early years education. Where else do you get that return as a business person? So let's get on with the show. Welcome, Cheryl Hadland, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here as our guest. And as we were sitting down, it's great to hear it's your 30th anniversary of your first nursery. That's right, today. Today. So, yeah, today, <laughs> just by, by extreme coincidence. Yeah. But yes, we're, we're celebrating 30 years of running Tops Day Nurseries today. Wow. What an auspicious occasion. And thank you for sharing an hour <laughs> so that time with us uh, to record this podcast. So... Yeah, I just want to, I mean, it's a great starting point then is, you know, 30 years ago that you started the first nursery. And did you have a background then in children's education and <laughs> nurseries? No, not, no, not at all. So um, I started in business, um, you know, the end of my teens in scuba diving. Okay. I was running a scuba diving business for a number of years, um, teaching in Pool Harbour. Okay. And uh, running a retail shop. And uh, we graduated. So not, not a sunny climate then for scuba diving. No, you had to be really quite rugged to, to teach <laughs> all year round um, and quite diverse, looking for opportunities, um, which I think you do as a, as a business person. Yeah. So, although we started with sort of in the swimming pool and on a boat, we quickly diversified to teaching chart work and first aid and oxygen administration and, and a whole range of, of courses. Um, and and really listening to the customers to find out you know what they needed. Yeah. So so that's what I was doing. Um, and then I w- I was married and and we had a child, 
And uh, I suddenly realised I could not carry on running my business the way I was and look after my child. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's that balance piece comes into there play is quite that balance, quickly. Yeah. Yes. So I, I cut down quite quickly to doing three days um, a week in the scuba diving business, which would be Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then the rest of the week I was looking after my child. And um, I started volunteering at a local playgroup and learning about childcare as a volunteer. Okay. And then before I knew it, I was helping run it and I was on the committee and um, actually really enjoying working with children. Okay. Quite different to working with the, the scuba divers. Yeah. So I had to tone my language down yeah. quite, a, quite a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. Yes. I, I remember a very embarrassing moment on my, my child's first birthday when he stood in the middle of the of the room and said shit in a very loud word. And, and, I, and then he had such an amazing reaction, he said it again. And I realised I would have to tone my language down from the scuba diving Children world. Children never let you down no, in those moments, no, do they? <laughs> no, and that, that really, it really brings it to you. You know, although yeah. customer care is, is very similar, you have to adapt your language to your yeah. audience. So, um, so that was the last time I said that particular word <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a room full of children. But of course, as soon as I went back to teaching scuba diving, then, then the language yeah. had to come back because they would pay attention. Yeah. I think you, you do sometimes have to use words that, that might shock um, in order to get attention. Different methods of communication yes. for your audience, yes. isn't that, I suppose? exactly, and yes. So volunteering a playgroup? Volunteering a playgroup, and then they suggested, oh, would you like to do a course on you know, how to, to run a playgroup? And so I started doing a day release course, um, which wasn't funded very much. So we had to do sort of sponsored toddles around gardens and things to get funding for training. There were no apprenticeships in early years back then. Yeah. So I did my year's course, really enjoyed that. Um, and then there was a follow-on course that I could do in order to actually engage in teaching that course because I was already a, a teacher in you know my uh, in my you scuba had those diving training sex. skills. Yes. I assume it, those teaching and exactly. coaching skills. Yeah. So uh, so I took that one step further, um, and then a building came up for sale at the top of my road. Okay. And I looked at that and I thought, you know what, it would make a pretty good nursery because okay. the the playgroup I was working at was just a couple of hours in the morning. Yeah. That was no good that, for a working parent. But 30 years ago, that was, that was the, the norm. environment. That was the Absolutely, norm, wasn't it? Wasn't, yes. There wasn't the childcare provision no. there is today. There were literally two or three nurseries around, very limited, sort of 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, you either had the whole day or you maybe had a half day. Um, very hands-off. Didn't particularly like the style of either of them. Um, I'd also done a, a Montessori course, so I was very okay. keen on doing um, more kind of real-life things with the children. Um, as opposed to just just straight play, and I didn't, I really didn't understand it then. So no. it was the beginning of a of a long journey, and I opened the the first nursery. Uh, we I managed to persuade my husband to remortgage the house, okay. and um, we bought the this this ex church at the top of the road, um, and started the nursery before I'd even finished my qualification course, and I was allowed to do that back then. Yeah. We were inspected by social services. They were really interested in your care. And obviously I was used to looking after people. You know, underwater is a very dangerous, potentially, situation course, unless you're yeah. trained. So I was I was used to taking life or death responsibility. So actually doing that with two and three-year-olds wasn't very different to, to doing it with a with a 30-year-old. <laughs> so they were okay with my care. But I really knew very little about the education side of it for small children then because we were really considered to be babysitters. Yeah. It was, you know, yeah, it was care, wasn't it? It, it was, was very it was much care, changing nappies, feeding them, just making sure that they were basically happy during the day. We had no idea of the of the science of the brain development that we do now. You know, now we know that a child's brain develops 
doubles in size and capacity between the ages of one and two and so on. It's the most development really? wow. any human being does is, is before they're five, before they're right. uh, academic. Before they is, start as school, as, yes, that exactly. Yeah. at that time. So yeah. actually all the education is taking place when they're small. And I don't think any of us appreciated that. Most of us look for, you know, the cheapest babysitting or au pair or whatever that you can get, not realising that if we make an impact on a three-year-old, it will stand them in good stead literally for the rest of their lives. It's a lifetime impact. Literally, yeah. yeah. So first nursery, converted church, so we had to yeah, convert that, I, I did, assume. yes, fairly straightforward. Um, they had a, a baptismal walk-in font at one end, <laughs> okay. which uh, obviously we, we couldn't use even as a swimming pool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, so yes, that was, that was number one. And um, just gradually expanded it, really. Um, started thinking about um, uh, expanding the age. Well, I had another child, so okay. I had a baby. And uh, at that point, preschools didn't really take babies. Yeah. So um, actually built on another floor, uh, for which I had to evacuate the whole building for a month in the summer. And um, and then started taking babies, and okay. then we bought the building next door as well. Um, so it kind of that that first site actually became th three times really the size it was at the beginning, but but really quite gently. Um, challenging but it, or enjoyable that experience? I really I did really enjoy it. It was very challenging. I was working a seven day week. I was having no holidays. I was doing the admin for both businesses late at night. Okay. So it was still you know, running the scuba, still running the scuba diving business, diving business. Wow. Um, but it did take an enormous toll. Yeah. Um, you know, working those kind of kind of hours, and we did have a divorce. Okay. So, so um, you, you know, I, I yes, yeah, so, you know, you really have to think very carefully about running two, or actually, it was three businesses at once because my husband also ran a, a computer business on the side. Okay. Um, and we'd started together as two divers that wanted to run a business. We had the same skill set. Yeah. That's not a good same idea. Same passion, but same, same passion, passion, same skill set. Not a good idea. Actually, if you have a partner in business, they should have a different mm -hmm. skill set. Maybe they should be the accountants or the bookkeepers or the marketers, yeah. rather than the you know face to face teachers. So I'm still a face to face teacher, and I really enjoy that okay. aspect. Even today, even today, I still enjoy teaching. Wow. Um, okay. It's just trying to identify you know when I can do that. So now I'm more likely to teach sustainability or leadership or management rather than actual childcare, because now I have people that work with me who are actually better at that than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's that's one thing I have grown to really appreciate is working with a team of people where they ha they're better at what they do than I am. Okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, and we do and need great. that around us, don't we? As we, we grow do. a business, we all yes. start maybe with just us, small team. Do it all, basically. Do it all, and then yeah. it's that point at which, and it'd be an interesting thing just to talk about now, is at what point do you realise that you can't do it on your own and you build that, Yes. When was that point for you, do you think? Well, funny enough, it was when I was running nursery number four, which okay. was in Wimborne. Um, and that nursery was uh, originally it was a pub, yeah. a failing pub that we bought from Hall and Woodhouse. And um, it was quite a traumatic purchase because I, I hadn't appreciated that it was VAT on pubs. So I put the offer in. It was accepted. We exchanged. I was going through the lawyers. And then um, somebody dropped in. Oh, by the way, you do know there's VAT on this purchase, don't you? Uh, that was 80, unrecoverable VAT for you. Eighty thousand pounds. Oh I had to find between exchange and completion, so I had like two weeks to do it. So um, yeah, that was a major, 
Major challenge. <laughs> Major challenge caused some, uh, yeah, some much lying in my bath with a glass yeah. of wine. <laughs> <fretting> <laughs> that I was gonna, yeah. yeah, I was going to cope with that. Anyway, we did overcome it. Um, I won't bore you with a very long story right. about how it's overcome, but it was it was challenging. So that nursery I was I was running, and um, I happened to meet up networking with um, a bursar in a school. Okay. And this school was um, probably a similar size to all four of my nurseries. Um, and she said, well, I'm the bursar, but we've also got a head teacher and we've got a company secretary and I've got somebody that does IT. And I said, wait a minute, that's four people you've got to do the administration. And I thought, and I'm on my own. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to do <laughs> this on my own. on my own with three children. To bring up the children <laughs> and do everything, yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought, do you know what? It, it is time. Okay. <laughs> it's time to get help. And how did you find, because the other challenge is there's a point of recognition where I can't do this on my own. I need a team. I need to trust in others. That, yeah. That's point one. Point two is actually hiring a team, which Indeed. has its challenges. But the most challenging point I see and I experience myself is once you've got the team, you've got to let go. Yes, And you've absolutely. got to delegate and you trust in them. How did you find that <laughs> journey? Well, the first, the first appointment I made in terms of support was actually my ex-bank manager. Okay. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> she she was quite happy to take on all the finance side of it, which 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 was great for me, and um, and she so she started doing that, and and then she wanted to let our bookkeeper go, and I'd had the bookkeeper with me for a, a few years, and I trusted that the books at least were done, and normally I just package it all up and dump it at the accountants, and they'd work it out. Um, so she was going to be this in between step and look at the st- strategy of the of the money and so on. Um, so she did the accounts for a year. And um, gave them to us at the end of the year. And she wanted to let the bookkeeper go. And I said, no, please, please keep the bookkeeper on because I want you to be an additional resource, not, yeah. not to replace the bookkeeper. I want you to strategic level. And so we did that, gave the books to the accountant as normal at the end of the year. And the accountant rang me up you know, a few weeks later and said, um, oh, by the way, Cheryl, you do know you made a loss last year, don't you? And I said, no. My book, okay. my, you know, my, my ex-bank manager now, finance um, she wasn't actually called a finance director. I think we called it a, an accounts manager or something. Yeah. Um, had told me we'd made a, a forty thousand pound profit. So if you're telling me now we've made a forty thousand pound loss, that's a massive difference. Yeah, what's all that swing. about? Yeah, what's happening? What's all yeah. that about? I've just based my pay increases for my staff and my fees based on you know the management accounts that I've been looking at, and you're now telling me I made a loss. And um, they he said, oh, yeah, because you need to in- include depreciation and uh, tax and all these other things. And actually, they weren't quite right anyway. Um, you've made a loss. Wow. So I went to my, my yeah. <laughs> assistant and said, we've made a loss. What's happened here? And she said, oh, my goodness, you don't trust me now to do the figures, do you? And I said, no. No. And she said, I quit. Right. <laughs> so we don't get it right first time. We did, not, we? <laughs> we did not get it right first time at all. Um, so then I took some advice from another company who had an FD, yeah. um, quite a big building company, um, who, you know, we still have a bit of a relationship with now. Um, and he said, well, no, that's, you don't want to employ ex-bank managers. You want to employ an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and he helped me interview for the next one. Brilliant. And we found a management accountant who could take the whole thing and, and not look back really from then. I've always Brilliant. seek advice now when I'm looking for a, yeah, a new appointment. I have a business coach. Um, okay. And I think, you know, to have, and they've, I've been had different business coaches over the years, yeah. you know, depending on the size of the business and, yeah. you know, what was going on. And, but and Interestingly, how do you mm. select your business coaches? Because 
I think that's an interesting one as well, isn't it? I mean, yes. if you've you've sort of found a fit at a time with somebody, but how do you go about that process? I think when you're small, you need to start with someone like mentor. Go go yeah. to um, you know the local. Um, yeah, there's Dorset, 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 there's Dorset chamber. Yeah. They they can recommend mentors, and you can get them for relatively little. Yeah. Sometimes those mentors are mentoring as volunteers themselves yes. because they want to help on the next. They want to give back business. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a good place to start because you're, you know, maybe a contribution per year, um, and you can uh, develop a dialogue with somebody, another professional, in a safe space. Yeah. Um, and I've i found that really invaluable. And then as you go up, you you know progress to potentially more expensive advisors, yeah. obviously, because they you know they can be a a silent partner almost. Yes. Um, depending on who you work with. Okay. Great. So that so you've made that transition. You've four nurseries in you life's okay how are you finding the balance at that point between family business and, <laughs> and life generally well it, it's always a challenge you know yeah. and it depends what what you value my children came first and then the business because without the business I couldn't actually support my children yeah. and during the divorce my my ex-husband made it very very clear that if I had, couldn't support the children he would seek to have them back Okay. So I had a huge impetus to really make sure that my business supported me and the children. Yes. Mass, you know, there couldn't really be more pressure. That was, you know, that than was a that. focus. Wasn't it? I was going to ask you what your focus was at that time, but yeah. clearly that's a clear focus. It was a clear focus to the extent that I actually took a part-time job on the side. Wow. I wanted to make sure that my mortgage could be paid and that I could continue to support my children. So I, I managed to get a, a part-time lecturing job at Bournemouth Pool College. Okay. And I kept that for 12 years. <laughs> so 12 I, of these 30 years of being in this. I was also running another job. Wow. <laughs> but at least it meant I was sure that no matter, you know, if I made a mistake, it was my insurance policy. It was only 12 hours a week. Yeah. And I was probably working a 70 hour week. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was, for me, it was good security. Um, but obviously my children haven't had as much attention as no. they could have done. And there's absolutely no space for a, for a partner yeah um so although i dated and things you know it um it didn't it really didn't it work because they would say you know I'm, I'm always bottom of your list cheryl and i'd say yeah you are yeah understandably Sorry about that. kids and business and, <laughs> <laughs> and space for something else yeah. just i just didn't have it yeah. um however you know looking back probably i could have shared the load more in okay. those days and when i do speak to small business owners they 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 really want to run solo and i i think you know the sooner you can spread the load yeah. And I know it's a risk because you're thinking, well, I'm only just earning enough for myself. If I get somebody else, how can I possibly share it? But actually, if you get the right person, they generate the business with yeah. you. But it's about that complementary skill set. Though, it is. It? Make sure they do something that you either aren't very good at or don't want to do. Yeah. That drives the business forward. Definitely. So... So 30 years in, okay, where are we today? So what does the So where are we now? Like now we today? have 31 nurseries, 750 staff, six directors. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, so a whole different ball game. And I can now take holidays and I can now spend some time with my grandchildren. Okay. But it did take a long time to get that balance. Wow. And you're into, you've got a care home as well now? I had two care homes for a while. Okay. That was a whole different story. That okay. was my, my mum came back from South Africa. Um, she's, she's South African um, with a husband who had Alzheimer's oh, and uh, moved in with me because um, selling property in South Africa doesn't generate enough to buy a property in England. No. And her husband was, was English. 
And my father died when I was a teenager. So um, so there we were with my, my mum and, and husband with Alzheimer's in my house. I did have a big house, yeah. um, but I extended it to, to enable them to be there. And I found that incredibly tough. Mm. Um, he was up in the middle of the night um, wanting, he was a, a priest and he was wanting to prepare his communion wine at three o'clock in the morning and then go and turn the gas on. And my mum couldn't cope with it. And actually I couldn't cope with it either. No. Um, so we looked at, I looked at, um, care homes for him and shared care, having somebody in at home. And then right bang in the middle of all that, um, I was, I was, I put a bid in on another nursery and this one was, uh, was in Christchurch. Just to give yourself something else to do? Or? Oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just a sucker for opportunities. <laughs> anyway, I thought this was a really good venue for a, for a day nursery and, um, it had been owned by, uh, Wessex Autistic, the building. And um, they'd been using it as a children's home. And I could see that, you know, potentially we could make some adaptions. It would make a great day nursery. So put an offer in, used a local lawyer to do all the searches and so on. And they said, yep, that's fine. Um, you can run a nursery there. I exchanged contracts. And then I had a call from the lawyer and he said, I'm really sorry, Cheryl, we've, we've made a mistake. And we've just had page two of the planning permission. And on page two, it says that there's a limit on the number of people in the building to 30. And I said, you've got to be kidding mm. me. I can't. How can I run a day nursery? Yeah. <laughs> With just 30 people present. <laughs> Where yeah. I've modelled on 100 children yeah. for 30. It's just not viable. I can't do it. So he said, well, okay, so <laughs> what do you want to do? So it was back to the bath. <laughs> <laughs> back to the bath and the glass of wine. <laughs> the glass of wine. <laughs> and um, and it, it suddenly had a eureka moment. I suddenly thought, do you know what? I could run a care home from that building. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah which fulfilled a need that you had as well fulfilled a need for me personally and yeah. as a family um it meant i wasn't into thinking about suing lawyers i mean how would you how do you go back to a lawyer and sue them potentially for not doing the searches you know diligently yeah. um if it's even possible yeah. then you'd end up i think the only people that would benefit there would be the other lawyers that you'd yeah. have to i just thought no i can't be doing that or I lose my deposit. That was a big chunk of thousands of pounds, which I could have done. Yeah. That probably was even with suing lawyers, I would think. Yes. I mean, who's going to win? Yeah. You know. There's, there's usually, only, yeah, as you say, the professionals. Yeah. Typically are the only winners in that. Absolutely. Even, and all I'd had was a confession over the phone, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a respected lawyer, you know, and I'm not going to say who it was. Um, but I, I just thought, do you know what? I could actually... Um, challenge how care homes run um as i challenge with day nurseries you know i'd completely changed the model of day nurseries instead of being eight to six we were flexible time um so people could come in you know at six in the morning and pick their child up at 11 30 if that's what they needed for their jobs it was a completely challenge to the system and i thought oh i wonder if i could do that with care homes disrupt the kind of exactly i thought maybe i could disrupt the care home market maybe i could make care homes for people with alzheimer's playful yeah you know, instead of them all sitting around the edge of the room, which was pretty much mm. what was happening 15 years ago, um, watching a television that they couldn't really relate to, I thought, you know, we can play. We could, yeah. you know, we could play with dough. We could do flower arranging. We yeah. could we could do stuff that I learn in early years, but actually do it with... Because that's the cycle that... I could see it as being yeah. a second childhood. What I hadn't um, really allowed for, though, was the, the disrespect people have for play. Mm. Um, for older people. Okay. They were seeing play for older people as disrespectful, whereas I was seeing it as fun. Yeah. 
And that was a huge battle. Social services did not like it. Okay. CQC did not like it. They were saying, no, you know, you, you need to show more respect. And, you know, doing these puzzles and kicking balls and stuff is not is not what, what we'd expect, we'd expect you to do. We don't like yeah. that. Um, and, and the local authority didn't like it either. So I had an ongoing battle. Okay. Uh, and it lasted for a few for a few years, and I can't say I was I was successful to be honest. And I found myself being split with early years on one side, and learning a huge amount there, and then learning a huge amount about care homes as well. Um, and I took a second care home also, um, because actually the model worked pretty well financially. It worked very well on yeah. on on this original care home, and I thought actually this is this is good, and I can spread it. Um, and I did try for what ten years. Okay. Um, and it did, you know, it had its ups and downs. I learned yeah. lots of stuff along the way. I was back to working, not even five days a week, it's seven days a week because care homes are, are open fifty-two weeks of the year, twenty-four hours a day. And There's no treatment. There was no reprieve. Yeah. And if you have a really good manager, that's great because yeah. then they can they can crack on and they and they can do it. But as soon as your manager goes down, mm. for whatever reason then you really have a struggle. And then recruiting a manager that's been in a care home that does it the traditional way. You're always trying to reinvent. Always. And it was just a constant fight. And in the end, I thought, do you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm not very good at it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I need to get out. You need to get back to the core passion. I need to get back to my core, which is still children. I still love the children. Um, And I love bringing on staff who are up for listening and adapting and learning. Um, and I was getting so much resistance in the care sector. Actually, I've seen care homes since doing really well and kind of completely changing their inside. So they're looking like houses and streets within a building. Yes. And that's very exciting. So yeah. I think there are a number of care homes now that are doing a really, really good job. The better disru- than either could. Yeah, the disruption is now coming to that industry. It is. Yeah, they it? are but doing it. Yeah, it yeah. is happening. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's needed, clearly. Because that old model of, as you say, people just sat around watching the telly. That's not what any of Awful. us want. For How would you want to do that? Yeah, you know, I'd rather be... years. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so clearly one of the things I enjoy when, you know, we've bumped into each other at events or bits and pieces is, is your passion. So how do you keep that passion for what you do alive 30 years in? It's not always been there. You know, sometimes I, I, I start to fade a bit when things are tough. Um, and and usually circumstances rescue me. Mm. So um, I remember one of the first rescues was I was out on a on a boat actually on a on a trip, and there were some young parents on board, and they had a small child, and the small child was was very interested in what was going on, you know, fascinated, wanting to climb up on the side of the boat. Obviously, there were some health and safety risks, um, but the the parents were actually getting really frustrated, um, wanting the child to just sit still. Um, getting cross, getting stressed. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> I could see what's what's going on here. But in a day now, where we're totally focused on the child, I can do a really good job. Let you go and do what you need to do so that you can actually spend quality time with your child. This is not quality time. Yeah, You're, you're in trouble here and yeah. you've got nowhere to go because you're yeah. on a boat. <laughs> and I can't step in because that would be rude. <laughs> yeah, that's not appropriate either, is <laughs> that's it? That's not appropriate either. And we all get cross. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and children have got to learn that adults get cross yeah. and that there are rules that they've got to follow. But in a day nursery, we can focus entirely on the child. So we can make sure that they're in an environment where they can learn, where they are safe. They can still run into the walls and mm. crack their nose, you know, and they can yeah. still fall off, fall off pieces of equipment and injure themselves. 
And quite frankly, if you don't allow them to do that, they can't yeah. learn either. So yeah. they've got to be able to learn an environment where they can have accidents, but not where they can run across the road. Yes. You know, there's, there's, safe there's got to be a reasonably safe environment where a child can take risks yeah. and learn from what they ma- their mistakes, because that is actually how humans learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's getting that, that balance right and i just find that so exciting okay and that was a, that was a moment of rejuvenation for you then that was it? i suddenly thought actually yeah i can really add 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 benefit to the community by providing this space okay. so the children can learn to their best potential yeah but adults can also go and go to university go to college go to work and do their thing go and have a massage you know whatever it is that adults need to do to generate an income but also stay sane yeah maybe rescue their relationships in a way i failed (laughs) okay (laughs) you know because maybe it is about having some family time as well and and with other children because often there'll be two or three children in the family and maybe you want to spend some child with your school-age child you know let us have the the two-year-old the baby yeah um and enable them to be you know to have a really good time brilliant well, that passion is clearly still there. It's still there. So yes. what next then? <laughs> what, what does success look like for you? What's the definition of success for you right now? Well, success now is is a lot more sustainable. It's about uh, a legacy as well. Okay. In that, at 30, 30 years on, I know that I'm not going to be running the nurseries in another thirty years. Mm. I may be in the grave by then. So I want to make sure that um, children can continue to be in a in a great environment with the next generation. Okay. So for me, it's it's looking at developing my team to succeed me. Okay. You know, not necessarily tomorrow, but I'm starting to look at succession. Okay. And then planning. you said earlier you've got six directors. You're developing a really senior team. Absolutely. That run yeah. the business. Yeah. Or can or could. Yes, run I've got some real stars. That. Brilliant. I've got also got someone who's been with me from day one, virtually from the first year. So she's been with wow. me for thirty years. Fantastic. And she started with me as a teenager, yeah. and she has just developed herself in her own direction. She's very, very different to me. Okay. But there's a respect and a love there. Basically, mm. it's, like, it's like a an extended family. Brilliant. So it's it's a combination of of valuing your heritage and where you've been, but also looking to the future for the bright sparks that are you know going to take it on. She's she's not a a number one. She never wants to go out networking, and that's fine. Mm. You know, she's she's my 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 safe space in the office. (laughs) Um, But somebody will need to go out there and and see what the opportunities are lying ahead. And it is really interesting, isn't it? And you know, Inspire is sixteen years in and. And do a lot of work, you know, as chair of the board of trustees of Julius House, the local children's hospice, and both Julius House and Inspired. The challenge there, and you must find it, is both have got this heritage of, you know, I've talked about Inspired. I yes. set up Inspired to be different, to do things differently, to build long-term relationships, to value our team. And, you know, that, that was easy when it was me, a laptop, phone and a desk. <laughs> and it was easy when it was 10 people, but we're now 50 people. And you, how do you, and I'd be interested to know, how do you keep that, how do you keep that culture and heritage in the business <laughs> so you don't forget where you've been from, which is the whole Julius House thing is. Yes. It's a charity that's grown. And how do you, how do you remember who you were, but still stay relevant today and keep that culture flow and heritage flowing through? Yes. Well, I won't sound perfect to this at all. No. Um, but for example, we're in a, a building that we've been in for a year now. And um, one of the things that we're, we're just putting up is, is a picture of, of each nursery along with each manager. 
Um, and we've got kind of stories on the walls to help us remember our, our heritage. Yeah. And I think this year is going to be an important year of reflection of as well. We've, we know, we've put time capsules into the, into the floor in the past at the Parkstone Nursery, for example. So oh, it okay. might be that we dig one of those up. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you, you actually have to make an effort to, yes. to look at your heritage and to celebrate it and to celebrate it with the people who yes. were around then. Um, and today we have, we have a board catch-up every morning. And um, today um, uh, Maria brought out a whole load of photos that were taken, you know, over the time and, and, okay. and were sharing them around. And, and I think those kind of moments, you know, that you can share and say, oh, wow, yes. Oh, my gosh, is that I what I looked that. like then? <laughs> and, oh, I'm glad I didn't, you know, don't wear that dress anymore. <laughs> it was literally one of the things I saw. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think celebrating those, those moments and taking the time out to yeah. celebrate those is really important for, yeah, for I think heritage. it's really important that we remember where we've come from on that journey, isn't it? Yes, and value it. Yeah, because as independent businesses, that's something that is unique to us. It is. To yes, your story is you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Just um, something you mentioned there, and it's a communication point, actually. So you have a board catch-up every morning? Tell me about every that. Every Wednesday morning. Every Wednesday morning. We have morning. a board catch-up for an okay. hour. right. Um, just to, to alert other directors as to any risk points, yeah. any good points, catch up, chat as people. Okay. <laughs> so that's a, that's a weekly event. Yeah. Okay. And how do you, across multiple sites, significant business, large number of employees, how do you ensure there's efficient communication? Yeah, I wish business? I could. It's <laughs> <laughs> that adage, isn't it? As, you know, communication can always be improved. So how do you do that? Or is that one of the challenges you face? It, it is a challenge because people change and their, their preferred method of communication has changed significantly over the years. Yes. I mean, 30 years ago, we didn't have the internet. No. <laughs> so we were, you know, phone calling, face-to-face and letters. That was it. Okay. Um, and over the years, obviously, emails become very, very dominant mm. for, for me and my generation. But that is not how my... Um, colleagues necessarily want to get their communications they don't no. so um, we you know we do send everything out by email but actually we've also got an app okay that we use for communicating child development with parents for okay. example yeah. um, and increasingly we're finding that actually our, our colleagues want to communicate by phone apps okay um, but we've, we've gone through a large phase of, of using Facebook and yeah. um, Facebook remains one of our main ways of communicating with each other okay um, internally as well as to your clients yeah so we have a, a colleague's facebook page okay um so for example this week I'm, i had a meeting with my pension advisor and uh, i've i've as a result i've moved my pension from my my managed pension to my e- to an ethical pension plan okay um but funnily enough that's actually a saving in my percentage so it's cut my percentage from 1.2 something to yeah. 0.79 so i'm saving money and being an ethical investor so okay. i can that that plan doesn't invest in child labour, for example, okay. or um, car- anything that produces a massive carbon footprint. So yes. it wouldn't wouldn't be in any of the kind of coal refineries or or things like yeah. that, or um, or cigarettes or tobacco or gambling. Because I don't want to be investing in that, but I have been yeah. through my pension plan In- inadvertently. Inadvertently, it wasn't yeah. a decision. My my the decision offered was. Do you go low risk, moderate risk, or or you know speculative? And I was kind of in the me- in the middle for my pension plan because I thought that was quite sensible. Yeah. Although obviously I'm very highly speculative when it comes to the <laughs> to the business. I'm a big risk taker. Yeah. Um, so that was 
that was a decision I, I didn't realise I had to make. So yeah. I was able to put that on my Facebook for okay. colleagues and say, look, this is what I've done. I'm not saying it's right for you. Yeah. But what I am saying is you have the opportunity to meet with your company pension advisor. You know, please mm -hmm. do so. Have a discussion. Decide for yourself what you want to do. Yeah. Um, but it may be you can save money. Or it may go the other way. You yeah. know, it just it just depends which plan yeah. you're on now. On the default plan, actually, it might cost you a bit more. Um, but you and have I'm, a platform to do that. I have a platform to do that. I could be very careful because I can't advise okay. my colleagues. Um, I'm not a financial yeah. advisor, so I can't say I advise you to do this. In fact, I'm, I'm banned from doing that. I can say, you have options, please have a meeting, and this is what I've done. Yeah. You don't have to copy me, but... Yeah. Well, that leads into a nice bridge because one of the other reasons, Cheryl, I wanted you on this podcast is... Um, is you're really passionate about not just business, but business and its impact on the environment. And um, I just would like us just to explore that for a short while. So when was it that, and I assume you're going to say when you were diving in the oceans, <laughs> but when was it that you really realised that you could do something or should be doing something in business because of the impact it was having on the environment? Well, it's been quite a quite a long journey. Um, about twelve years ago, um, I was investigating um, what to heat my nursery in Wimborne with because it was okay. oil fired, okay. um, and I looked at what the options were, and it was um, either electricity or oil because there was no gas at that particular site. I could have invested to have put the gas in, mm. um, but I, I had a sense that I didn't really want to be using more gas than I had to. Um, and so I went for, for electricity and solar panels and I ran it through my FD at the time and he said, no, that's not a good idea. I, I can't see you getting a return for 12 years or more. Okay. Um, and you know, you've got a five year plan, not a 12 year plan. I, you know, I can't recommend that you do that. And I, and I thought about it and I thought, well, actually I'm in this for the long game. And if I get a return over 12 years, actually, that's that's OK for me in this particular instance. So I am going to go electric. So I so I did do it. Okay. And um, it's not it's not common for me to decide not to go with with someone's advice when they're obviously clearly an expert. Yeah. But in this particular case, I, I decided to go with my gut yeah. rather than the, the pound coins. And in fact, it broke even after eight years. OK. So uh, so now I'm, I'm solar powered at, at Wimborne and uh, I run my electric cars from Wimborne. Okay as well so we deliver food from the Wimborne nursery to other nurseries in, in our electric fleet okay and obviously we're using sunshine and that was your help. first big environmental that decision. was my first big environmental decision and it was actually mostly for money but with a little bit of a yeah. concern for for gas which is an interesting one isn't it is, yeah. is that um for business owners and actually for governments that don't hit you know their their carbon gas initiatives and all of that kind of thing is there's this there seems to be a quandary you know, yes. impact on the environment versus economic growth. And, t and and until recently, there wasn't a feeling that you could have both, but that Indeed. is changing. I think it is changing. I, I think one of the risks with politics is that it, they need short-term results in order to secure their vote yeah. for now. Um, and a lot of companies also think really quite short-term. Five years is actually short. You know, when, yeah. when I'm looking back at 30 years of business... You know, obviously, I wasn't looking forward for 30 years, but I no. still think five-year plans are too short. Yeah. You know, I think we should be looking at 10 years, 20 years, yeah. um, but not everybody does And that. until you look at that, some of the environmental decisions are you hard might, from an economic yes, perspective, indeed. aren't they? Um, things like plastic. We actually really didn't know 
the what the impact of what we were doing not because somebody hadn't highlighted it because actually mm -hmm. there there are examples of people highlighting carbon emissions you know from 50 years ago yeah. um but actually the plastic we we had we been listening to people we probably would have realized at least 10 years ago yeah but a lot of us weren't listening and i wasn't listening okay so you asked what uh, what triggered that well I was on a diving holiday okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was using um, a, a metal bottle to drink my water out of um, only because I'm too tight. You know, buying water out of plastic bottles, a pound a pop or something, when you can fill them out of the tap for a penny, um, I'm just too tight to do that. I think it's yeah. ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so there is an economic benefit there. <laughs> there. There totally is. Honestly, I think people that buy plastic yeah. water bottles on the train, are, you know, <clears throat> with respect yeah <laughs> really do you really want to waste your money on that when you just have to fill your bottle up at home you know and, and how many pints of water do you need on a train really so <laughs> in this country um so anyway i was i was abroad on a holiday and i was drinking out my metal bottle and um, the guy that organized the holiday david jones who runs the just one ocean now a charity said to me and oh that's it's good to see you using it using a metal water bottle um and not using one use plastic and i said oh, why what's the problem with one use plastic um and and uh, he started talking me uh, to me about that and on the dive of course we're, we're beginning to see one use plastic um just as you dive yeah. you know we've seen turtles eating plastic bags instead of jellyfish because they look really similar we're seeing little fish eat, living in plastic bottles on the bottom instead of living in coral and shells. Um, and lately on dives, um, we're seeing plastic-strewn beaches. We're seeing animals killed by plastic. We're seeing birds killed by plastic. Um, and I love animals and birds, you know, like I love humans. It's just um, what we're doing to the planet is wicked, yeah. but it's a lot of it is accidental. We didn't realise the damage we were doing. No. And I'm guilty as, you know, a sin because... I've had all these babies in my nurseries for decades using one-use nappies. Yeah, which is a huge contributor. Isn't one tonne per baby yeah. of plastic waste we're generating. And I particularly remember somebody coming up to me and saying, why don't you throw your nappies into the incinerator bin? And I said, because it's cheaper to throw in general waste. And the waste company came up to me and said, well, you know, why would you do that? Because I'm allowed to. So why would I, what's the problem? And, and no one said it's a problem. Yeah, there is an issue here. There is an issue that take, I didn't yeah. realise. Now I know. So yeah. now my my waste plastic nappies do go in an incinerator bin, but that's still not the solution. No. Um, obviously, we need to be using reusable nappies. Everybody needs to be using reusable nappies. These plastic one-use ones should be for emergencies only. Yeah. Um, and actually now, the modern design of, of washable nappies is, is really simple. You can just um, tip the poo down the toilet and lob the nappy into the into the laundry um it's actually very much easier than it used to be we can do it in nurseries as well um, but you do need to think about your laundry facilities yes in a business there used to be companies that would come and collect your um terry nappies go away wash them bring them back they all went out of business because of the the plastic nappies mm. um so there are very few organizations around that do it so we're less left with really doing it ourselves um, and we've piloted that in one nursery where we okay. only have reusable nappies, washable nappies, and it's going really well. Okay. <laughs> How have the parents reacted? Parents on the whole are great. Okay, great. And, and we have got uh, many parents now in the nurseries using washable nappies, and I'm providing a, a basket for them to try out. Okay. Um, because like, like plastic nappies, uh, different nappies fit different children. Mm. You know, boys, girls, they're different shapes, even 
in the same sex, they're different shapes, so one nappy will suit one and, and not another. Um, and sadly, people will use a, a real nappy and say, oh, that one didn't work, therefore none of them work. It's not true. Right. There, There is a real nappy a for fit. every baby. Fit, yeah. yeah. Um, and you don't have to change them every two hours, like some people think, uh, if you use the right ones. And there are some really good bamboo nappies, for example, that are super absorbent. Okay. Um, we're still using a plastic outer to keep it in. Yeah. Um, but then you don't have to wash that as often. Okay. Whereas the, the so inner the environment, that you would. mental impact is so much it's less. less. Yeah. It is less. It's, there's no perfect solution because we're humans. Yeah. You know, we use stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the trick is we to use... We are the generation that have created that disposable we're even worse absolutely unfortunately we're now realizing the consequences of that but we are and our poor children are going to really suffer Mm. and and we're losing you know so many uh animals and insects and you know we're all wrecking the planet right now and we've got to stop it right now and i think that comes with us as individuals and then to spread that through our networks through our parents through our customers every which way we can (laughs) so if you your business owner that's listening to this podcast, what would you say the first, you know, <laughs> as, as somebody that's passionate about this, is campaigning, is you know, part of charities that are, you sure. know, are, are trying to do something about this. If a business owner is listening to this, what's the first few steps you think they could and should take yes. to reduce their environmental impact? Funnily enough, the very first thing I would do is look at your bills. What is your highest bill other than for staff? Yeah. Um, it may be your rent, but after that, and you may not be able to do anything about that, but what it might be after that is your electricity yeah. for heating your property. Um, what are you buying in your stationary orders? Um, what expenses are you paying out to for people um, driving cars in and out of work? And you can get a real saving for the planet and your budget at the same time. So yeah. that should that should keep all the stakeholders happy yeah. <laughs> in the business. Happy, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. So some things you can do, like you can cut your electricity bills by making sure you're not heating your office or your property overnight when you're not there. Hmm. And that sounds so obvious. But actually, when I looked at our timers, a load of our timers were set incorrectly. I had some timers that didn't have the facility to turn off over the weekend. And my nurseries are mostly not open and they're not open over the weekend. So why am I heating the building over the weekend? Well, I am because my my seven my timer is not a seven day timer, it's a twenty four hour timer. Okay. So I've got to change the timers, which is a very, very small investment, but that's one thing that we've done. I had um immersion heaters on all the time. Immersion heaters are only meant to be on if you're gas, assuming you've it's got an a emergency gas. Use. It's an emergency use thing, yeah. but actually sometimes you turn them on and you leave them on by mistake. Um, and we picked that up in a survey, thought I'd corrected it, went back to do another survey literally a couple of years later, and you know what? That blasted immersion heater was still on. So <laughs> I've been wasting an enormous amount of electricity, yeah. and that's I'm f- quite focused. <laughs> yeah. so look at your bills look at your electricity bills and then go around seeing what is what's generating the big bills and cut that yeah find out who your electricity supplier is and are they are they using renewable energy because they they should be and and you can now get electricity supply that's the same cost um but from a renewable electricity supplier rather than from someone that's buying entirely from fossil fuels Okay. Now, admittedly, it all goes through the same pipes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, sometimes the person you're buying from and says they're renewable isn't entirely renewable. They may be offsetting, and there there are some issues 
around it's that. It's going to create demand, isn't it? I it's think going to create so. the energy. Yes. People opt for that. It's like the pensions thing. If you ask, then people are going to think, oh, actually, you're interested. Yeah. And then it creates that changes supply in due course over time because the demand exactly. is there. Yes. So buy renewable energy. Okay. Look at your stationary bills and look at your photocopier. You know, you yeah. don't need to be copying so much or so much in colour. Yeah. You don't need to laminate anything and everything that goes on the notice board. And we were doing that. Yeah. You know, so, so stop with the lamination. Stop with the plastic wallets. Um, there are so many bits of one-use plastic that you can just stop using. Biros, my goodness me. Do you really need to use a biro for everything? Can yeah. you not use a pencil made of wood, which is from a renewable source? There are so many things that you can do, but to be honest, you can't do it all at once. So that's why I say start at the bills yeah, start at the, <laughs> and, yeah. and then work your way through and look at your own practice at home. You know, are you using a lot of one-use plastic for cleaning? Um, what are you driving? Are you driving a diesel guzzler? I yeah. was. Okay. You know, I was driving a lovely Audi A6 diesel, which is actually quite efficient as diesel goes. But when I started on this... Um, this journey to be more sustainable. One of my staff actually put a complaint on Facebook and said, who are you to tell us about walking and cycling to work when you're driving a diesel? And I said, you're absolutely right, but actually my diesel is on a four-year lease. Yeah. <laughs> and and I would love to be perfect, but I can't actually change everything immediately. Yeah. There's got to be a pragmatic approach. You have approach. got to be quite pragmatic. And and I do now drive an electric car, but, okay. but there, it took me a few years to make that swap. And I love my electric car. Okay. It has it has a three hundred mile range, and it's not a Tesla, okay. um, because I can't I can't me I can't dri justify driving a Tesla um, in a company where we're actually having to try and keep the bills as low as possible yeah. because parents are so badly supported in this country. Yeah. I mean, we are the the worst supported parents in the entire of the OECD developed countries. You know, all of Europe, um, government and taxpayers are supporting the uh, education of, of small children. In this country, there's very little, although the government say they are. They are doing a bit, but nothing like as much as the rest of the world is. Right. So um, our poor parents are having to, to support yeah. their children's education. Certainly, there, there's hardly any support for babies, one-year-olds and two-year-olds. Yeah, it's a really tough time, isn't it? You know, we, really we tough. We've found it as a family ourselves, but we, with our team and, and, and friends. Is At some point, there's that decision do I effectively go back to work? One parent yes. is working, the other parent says, do I go back to work and effectively work for free nearly? Literally, Because yes. of yes. the need and because the support's not there for the childcare. Exactly. Because ch uh, children that are looked after in a nursery have this amazing opportunity to be read stories and things yeah. all day. Yeah. Whereas um, if you're having to run your own business, for example, and look after your baby, that's, that's really tough. I mean, I, I did that. And until they're about seven months old and they're not mobile, it's relatively easy. But once they hit there... <laughs> Life changes dramatically, oh, doesn't it? You know, it? They're, they're wanting to be into everything yeah. and they need to be into everything. Yeah. Um, and yet we don't want to pay people looking after um, children, you know, even as much as we pay a dog walker. Dog walkers get £10 an hour per baby. The government pay us £4... Sorry, £10 per, per dog. Yeah. Whereas the government pay us £4 an hour um, for a child. Wow. <laughs> and that that so that's you know that's the that's where we are in this country we're disrespecting educators of our children and do you think that'll ever change it absolutely needs to change it must change yeah. it's it's proven to be the best investment you can make is in the next generation
there's a seven to one return on investment in good quality early years education. Where else do you get that return as a business person? Yeah, I mean, we'd all snap a seven to one return. Wouldn't we? We would jump at it. But then that comes back to, it's going to sound very political, but that short-term political view of I need votes at the next election. Yeah, I don't so need I'm votes free in 20, yeah. 25, 30 years. No. I need them And now. that's when the return is, of course. Yeah. You don't get return on, on a two-year-old in five years. No. You get a return on a two-year-old when they're in their 30s and they've yeah. got their university degree and they're running their own business. And that, that generation then pays yours and mine, because I'm you know heading for 60, yeah. our pension in 15 years' yeah, time. Definitely. Because the money we put towards the state pension now... That doesn't come to us. That's paying for the current pensioners. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to invest in the in the children of today to look after our security in the future. And we're not doing that. Not doing it enough. Is there enough lobbying going on out there about that? As we're trying. Okay. <laughs> the thing about um, early years is that it's a very fragmented business. So it's not like you've got the big four banks. There's not the big four day nurseries. It's lots and lots of small nurseries that like. 20,000 small nurseries and 20,000 childminders spread all over the country. Yeah. And all of them were their, their you know, heads down looking after children. So when do we get time to, to, yeah. to petition and lobby and, and so on the government that we need to? Yeah, there's no unified voice. There's, there? there's not really a unified voice. I'm, I'm trying to do what I can because okay. we, we do have a few. that We've got the National Day Nurseries Association. We've got the Early Years Alliance. We've got PACI. We've got CASH. Trouble is we've got a lot of kind of umbrella organisations rather than one yeah. big one. Um, so it, it, it then comes back to each one of us speaking to our MPs, speaking yeah. to our councillors. And generally supporting parents, because these poor parents out there who are having to, Definitely. you know, pay a mortgage and childcare that may be more than their mortgage yeah. in it's order tough, to supply. Yes. So I can, I can understand <laughs> now why in 2018 you were named the most, one of the most influential people in healthcare. Yeah, and yes, in, in early years indeed. Yes, yeah. it was, uh, I, was, I was absolutely delighted to, to have that award. Uh, I was equally divide, uh, delighted, though, that in 2019, my operations director, Amy, also won that accolade. Wow. So, um, okay. yeah, so I, I take that as a, you know, if, if I have a colleague who gets a pat on the back, yeah. I, I pat myself on the back at the same time. Brilliant. And I think we have to do that as business owners. We do. Because we don't often get those pats, so no. we have to do it for ourselves. Good. <laughs> well, it's been amazing speaking to you, Cheryl. It's been great to understand a bit more about your journey and, and some of those challenges you've faced and some of the advice you'd given overcome. It's been great to hear about your passion for, you know, early years education and environment if people want to learn more about you about uh top stay nurseries where can they go so they can go onto our website okay. where we've got a, a special page for sustainability um, but i've also started a charity called gecko so it's gecko.org.uk um, to share our sustainability message with colleagues primarily in the earlier sector but it'd be useful for parents and, and business people as well uh, full of tips as to you know what you can do to be more sustainable Brilliant. I'll go and take a look myself. Thank, Thank you, Cheryl. And congratulations once again on your 30th year anniversary. Thank you. Whoopee. Thank you. <laughs> I was excited to have Cheryl as a guest on the podcast and learn more about her own unique journey and what a journey it has been. It was also great to hear her passion for business, early years education, and also the environment. I loved the pragmatic and simple ideas that she gave us about how we can all have a better environmental impact and those simple ideas that we can implement immediately while saving costs in our business as well. It was also interesting to hear 
from her the benefits about seeking business coaching and what that has led and meant to her. If you want access to further insightful content, events and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register for free to get access to the Evolve community. You can also learn more there about our own unique peer groups run by Evolve. If you're a business owner and want to work with a forward-thinking, award-winning independent firm of business and tax advisors, then I and the team at Inspire would also love to hear from you. Please do go to inspire.uk.net to learn more about Inspire. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode, and if so, please do rate, review, and subscribe to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you.